This is an Itch Your Break production, so sit back and take a break. Welcome to Itch Your Break. Hi, I'm Jonathan Mertz, and coming up on today's show, we're going to talk to a lady who has seemed to have done it all. What do I mean? We'll find out next here on Itch Your Break. Itch Your Break will return right after this. Subscribe to the Itch Your Break podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, YouTube, and iHeartRadio. And now, back to It's Your Break. Welcome back to It's Your Break. Hi, I'm Jonathan Mertz. And today's guest seems like she's done it all. From being a journalist to an award-winning sportscaster, a travel expert, and an entrepreneur developing her own production company. Davy Sutton seems to have done it all. And Davey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, it, it seems like you've done just about everything that when it comes to what you want to accomplish in life, really, you know, from a, from a viewpoint. I mean, you've been a journalist, you've been a sportscaster, you know, you're this travel expert and entrepreneur. And what I would like to do is just kind of take it back and just take it back to the beginning and find out how you got down so many different avenues, if, you, if it's okay. Yeah, so my journey is kind of a lot of following the lead. Um, having a dream, I think I, I've always wanted to do television, um, but didn't know it for a good while. But really funny, I recently digitized some old VHS tapes that my dad had of, of family vacations that we had. Um, one is in 1989 going to the Grand Canyon and what I was doing was learning something and then grabbing our camera and then explaining what it was and actually signing off eyewitness news. And I recently, just like this past summer during the pandemic, found those and was like, oh my goodness, like it's always been me. That's always been me. But that definitely wasn't my journey going through high school. And especially in college, I really didn't know what I wanted to, to do. Um, and my undergrad degree is in the study of world religions, which actually is very helpful to me now as a travel journalist. Um, it helps me bring a deeper understanding when I tell travel stories around the world. I have a different kind of approach to it, uh, a little bit of academic, if you will. Um, but uh, I started off like uh, out of college. I remember watching um, the Best Damn Sports Show period and um, Lisa Guerrero was on there. And it's funny because we had a full circle moment years later once I did become a professional uh, sports journalist. Um, but I saw her and she had a great combination of being so beautiful, but also knowing what she was talking about. And so I was just out of college and I was like, I think I want to do that. So I actually had a disadvantage to other people who wanted to get into the industry because I didn't study it in college. And so the way I worked my way in kind of like, let me in coach, get, let me in. It was um, 
figure out how to get internships. And so I was young enough to really kind of trade my time for free for experience. And back then, I know these days kids get, um, young people get paid for their internships, but it was more about exchanging your time for the experience, like apprenticeships. So I did several of those and it took me several years to actually get my first you know, uh, real opportunity in television. And so the bulk of my career was as a sports journalist. And I, I always say it's easier to talk about who I didn't work for than who I did. So I, I worked for Turner Sports, which no longer is here. It's now called Warner Media. Um, I worked for CNN Sports, NBC. I did some stuff for uh, uh, Comcast. I did some stuff for CBS. Um, and both locally and nationally. And then there was an opportunity when I was covering the NBA, which I covered the NBA for five years, um, and I was a features reporter. And um, my agent at the time told me about an opportunity to help start a lifestyle and entertainment show. It was at a local level, but, he, but they said, I think you might be interested in this. And I actually went and did that job. It was exciting to start a show. If you've ever had an opportunity to start something almost like a startup in any field, it's, it's an exciting kind of period and energy, especially with that initial team. So we had all of that. And I did that for four years. And that's where I really found my lane in telling those kind of stories. After that, though, um, th while I was there and I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, I was uh, the seed was planted to be a little more entrepreneurial with my approach in, in this industry. I think I came to the understanding of realizing, um, because I had a little bit of a late start, I didn't come right out of college and get into it, that I always had to kind of make my way and create my own space. Um, and I had that initially, and I learned about... Um, journalists who were entrepreneurial. They, they weren't freelancers, but they actually had like a business strategy to creating content and telling stories and working with networks and publications. So that seed was planted when I was in Charlotte and I went back and moved back to Atlanta, um, did sports again for the local CBS station. Um, but then, you know, launched shortly after that, launched my production company and where we are now, um, about six years into it, and I cover on a national scale. I, I'm a life. I'm a travel journalist who covers uh, local experiences, adventures, cultures, and the environment. Um, so I appear on national television shows like The Today Show and Dr. Oz, and I work with those networks, the Weather Channel, several networks. But the reason I'm able to diversify like that is because I'm independent and I and I approach it differently than just being under contract with one network. Um, so that is a little bit of, of the journey there, but that's kind of why I kind of bounced around and I called those all of those moves pivots and all of those pivots kind of uh, where I am now is see that that journey that I had to take all makes sense to where I am now and where I want to go. That's just such a wide spectrum of, of stuff that you had done. And, you know, when I was reading your bio and, and realized that you got a start in radio, because I got my start in radio when I was 16. So, you know, listening to what you've done and how you've pushed yourself is really amazing. I've seen my friends throughout radio who have struggled when they push themselves into new avenues and, and go into these bigger markets and not really succeed at all. And, and, and flop and, it, and, it, and get back and forth. So did you have any hurdles where you had to overcome during that journey? 
Oh, for sure. And I think that's a good part to talk about is the failures because I don't think people always highlight the failures, but there are are failures to come and you, and and along what comes along with those failures um, and if they're public too is embarrassment and humiliation and what happens is that you retreat right so like if you you said some of your friends that they they did something bigger they pushed themselves and then they fail and usually you retreat it takes a lot of guts and and um, not that those people didn't have guts but it it takes a lot of courage to to put yourself back out there again and try again. So I definitely had fails on big scales too. Um, and just kind of pushing through the embarrassment, walking through, doing that sort of walking up shame and giving yourself grace too, not being too hard on yourself. Um, and if it's something that you really want to do though, there's no way that you could not do it. And that is another factor too. Sometimes it's, it's a dream that you might have to be on television or to be in broadcast um, and radio too. And radio is a, is a tough competitive field just as much as television. Um, and now it has a new resurgence with, with podcasts. So audio is kind of like the new, the new it child in the industry um, altogether. Um, but, but the failures are, are what you grow, what you grow from and what you learn from. And if you can actually suck it up and look to see how bad you flopped, like looking back at the tape, I think that you learn how to become better too. What is, what I think what allows you back in is if you had a fail in is, is practicing and then going after something going after that dream again and putting yourself back out there. One specific example is um, I was um, pretty early in trying to go at this career and I was given a pretty big opportunity for a show. And it, and in this, this industry, there are, are, there are times when like in the audition process or the interview process, but that by the time they ask to see you, you basically almost have the job. Um, they don't really bring you in for interviews unless, unless you, you know, they, they just want to look at you, see that you're not crazy, see, you know, put their eyes on you and you basically have the job. So I was at that point in the interview, but I was asked to read a teleprompter that I had never done before. And that's a particular skill set. And I, I practiced, but practicing at home is different than doing it. And it wasn't even live. It was just an audition. And, and what I did was freeze and I couldn't get past the words and it was getting in my own head. And I remember I was asked to read it and then um, they were going to bring in the EP later to the executive producer later to, to come and just kind of give me the okay. Um, but I fit, I flopped so badly. And I remember seeing kind of like the tech guy kind of like have that bug eye look like eek. <laughs> um, and, um, that they were like, uh, I, I remember I finished and I was like, oh, I, I got through it. And I was like, am I going to meet the EP? And they were like, oh, I, you know, she came in and she saw it. We're, we're, we're good. Um, and I remember walking away from that, like knowing, like I basically had that job and I blew it. Um, and it was all on me and it was, I was humiliated, but it wasn't like in a public way. It was just amongst that group. Um, and that could have been an opportunity for me to kind of put my head in the sand and say, like, this is 
you know, this is not for you. Um, and I've had other auditions where like, I thought I was a shoe in because I was told by somebody else I was a shoe in, um, and I didn't get the job. And, and it's, I always remember having that feeling of like, why do you do this to yourself? Why are you doing this to yourself, putting yourself out there? Um, and the reason is, is because what's on the other side is what I really want. Um, and you know, the, beyond getting the opportunities, you know, like I know in Hollywood, what I do, I don't think is necessarily Hollywood, but in Hollywood, they always say it just takes one yes. Um, so people that are continually auditioning for things, they just need that one yes. On my side of this, this scale, you, you, it's more than needing one yes. You need the opportunity and then the access. Um, and so I think that's the lesson that I learned from kind of like the, the failures is that you either want it or you don't. And there's going to be some embarrassing moments. But the thing is, uh, most people don't care that much about your own personal <laughs> embarrassing moments. They might mention it, but it's not anything that will be top of mind anytime they think of you. It has to be something like really on a national scale that it's like a national embarrassment. But for the most part, I mean, I think it's something that we build up bigger in our own head and that we have to learn to shake off. You know, I hate reading from a teleprompter too, because my eyes jump a lot. And, and just like with cold reads on any, on any script, I mean, that is the terrible thing because my eyes will jump and, and, it, and it drives me nuts and I have to keep practicing it. And when, you know, once I lock in, I'm, I'm good. But if you get that tongue tied moment and you, and you just did that one little stutter, it could be just a slight stutter. It throws you completely off. I completely understand what you're saying. It's a, um, but there are techniques though. You, it's really about slowing down. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think in broadcast, we, we know we're on a time, right? Like, especially radio, you know, you have 20 seconds for this read, right? And so mm -hmm. we're used to, to getting through things at a particular pace. And so when we slow down, we think that we're talking in slow motion. But oh, yeah. really slowing down actually makes it at a more relaxed pace. And those natural pauses to gain, you know, so I've learned some techniques and I can now read a prompter. But those are things that there are things to get over it. And that's what I those, those are the things that I had to do to kind of get myself back out there. It's just so fascinating to hear how you, you just kind of keep pushing yourself and pushing yourself and pushing yourself. So what was the actual turning point, you know, when you're going through your career saying that I want to branch off, I want to do this all on my own and, and start your production company? Um, the turning point was when I was in Charlotte, I was ready to leave that show and ready to move on. Um, and I was interviewing, uh, I didn't have an agent at the time and I was interviewing agents and I was thinking of what market I wanted to go to. And also just kind of thinking like, man, how many more times am I going to have to do this? And everything about what is my dream is in somebody else's hands. Like somebody else has to it's up to somebody else to say yes to me. Um, and then um, the journalist uh, Soledad O'Brien, she's a celebrity journalist, so I think her name's pretty much out there, um, announced she was leaving CNN at the time and going to start her own production company. And I actually know Soledad, and she's a bit of a mentor, but I remember when that news release came out, I was like, hmm. And what she what that had me do was to start investigate entrepreneurial journalists um, because I knew 
the, what she did, she made the announcement, and because she's a celebrity journalist, other um, uh, networks came and said, hey, do this for me. I remember Discovery Networks came to her, HBO came to her, but that was her path and her journey, and also she's a celebrity. So I knew that that wouldn't happen to me, but it gave me the idea of, that I never knew of before, that you can be entrepreneurial, that you didn't have to go this traditional route. And so I started to investigate other journalists, and I started to see that some journalists that work for um, PBS Every night on their PBS News Hour, I started to look at the credits on some of the stories that they did, and they and then I would look up the people, and they had been doing this for years, working for themselves independently, but they had a contract with a particular network to do a particular type of story, and so that that's how it all started, and I started to investigate, and then I started to kind of narrow down, which took years, on what I wanted my company to do and what I what I particularly wanted to do. And so that was the start, and that was the motivation of how we got to where we are now. So how does this differ from a traditional freelance journalism? The difference is that the goal isn't to, uh, I always kind of think of like a freelancer is working for like one network or different companies and maybe if they ever offered them a full-time job, they would want the full-time job. I uh, uh, work with most of the companies as a vendor through my company and we, partic we, we um, sell them either entire shows or series or segments. And then there are times within my own kind of personal brand that I work as a contractor. So I do have, do I do work as a freelancer or a contractor personally, like professionally as a, a correspondent or a producer for some networks. But for my production company, we work as a vendor producing, a vendor production company that produces a particular product. Um, for networks and publications. And now we started to work with brands as well. As you hear about how you're going through this and you're putting all these different avenues, when you started your production company and, and you got to go, you got to go start developing your own content and, and getting it out there. How do you go back to these networks or even local media stations, other people that may be associated with the Associated Press to get your content out there? I mean, what, how do you focus that, that publicity to get the people to pick it up? It is really a networking game. So that was one of the things I already knew about the industry period was that I saw how move, moves were made from all levels in the industry and it was all about networking. So I attend pre-pandemic a lot of conferences and I would make net connections with um, different executives and people. And, and then I, we, my team, we would do a lot of research on moves that were made or who needs what. Um, and there are actually conferences too that are specifically where networks are looking to buy segments and programs as well. So um, that's where you start with that. Um, but networking is a key across all industries. And, you know, time. I just had a conversation with a friend yesterday who got a pretty big job to work for the Olympics. And this wasn't a job that was ever posted. It was somebody that worked for, um, let's say, Twitter that worked and, and called NBC and said, or NBC said, hey, we're looking for a host for this. And, and they... Um, the Twitter person was like, hey, we worked with this person before. So networking is key. And the 
the stronger and the better you can build up your network before you even have an ask or for, before you even know what you may want to ask in the future is a priority that I always encourage everybody across industries to, to prioritize. Your company is, you know, like I said, I, I keep saying this, but it, it, it's so fascinating. The, the things that you're getting to do, the content that you're getting to produce. Is there anything that you're super proud of that you've produced in, 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 in as a show, as a piece of segment that is from your company that you just like you're you know excited about? Yeah. The, so um, when I started my company, I knew I knew I wanted to to focus on um, travel stories. So the umbrella of everything I do, uh, you mentioned before, kind of like the vast range of what I cover. But if you look at it just from a storyteller perspective perspective. Um, I can tell a story. If you're a storyteller, you can tell a story about anything. And that's the flexibility I actually wanted to be able to have by going independent um, and non-traditional. So everything I do, I, so I can, I can take a project about everything. Um, and the first project we actually produced um, was called What We Told Our Sons, which was four families in the South um, reacting to the Trayvon Martin verdict. And it was a, it's a documentary that we took on tour across the country to museums and colleges um, to help facilitate a discussion about you know what the country was going through at the time. And so I think museum crowds are different than just a regular crowd because museum goers are people that are interested in, in unpacking discussions or, or talking about things that are beyond what they already know. And so that was really uh, fascinating to try to produce a documentary right out of coming from traditional TV. And then the next thing was um, my series, I have a, a adventure travel show that was picked up by Amazon right when they started Amazon Prime Video. Um, called Beyond the Usual, and we did uh, two seasons, and there's a total of about 60 episodes. Oh, that's cool. Uh, went a little overboard on the episodes. We could have probably broken that up to five seasons, but I was learning at the time. Um, but that was, I'm proud that I was able to come up with these ideas and then actually create and do them. I have more experience from when I did those back in the day. Those were the first kind of projects straight out the gate from my production company. I had to do them all independently. I had to, I financed them all, but I've learned a lot about not having to finance things and, and collaborating. And that's another thing that I'm still working on, but is key to successful businesses that I've learned, not just in my industry, but across the board. It's so cool to hear some of the things that you talk about. I mean, when you were talking about the Trayvon Martin thing, one of the things that you said was when you presented it to these these museum, you know, goers. And I never really thought about that, you know, but when you walk in a museum, it's almost like you're walking into a totally different environment because you're there to actually learn. And it's so fascinating that you brought that up because one of my favorite museums is the Holocaust Museum. And, you know, it's so fascinating to read what trouble people actually went through, you know, during the Holocaust and, and, and how these people were afflicted, um, by, by that situation. Um, and, and hearing you go out there and go to an environment where people are already ready to learn was pretty impressive. That is, that's really cool. I never would have thought of that. Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I, I don't know how I came up, came up with it, but I, it was a, I think it was a gold mine 
for an audience. Um, that was a time where tensions were high, racial tensions were high, people had definite opinions. And, you know, we always hear people like, we just need to talk about it, we need a peacemaker. And I think that was the perfect crowd at that time for people to have discussions. And it was, it was, it was a, we had great discussions. We had people, um, you know, it was opportunity at that time where I would, I remember some, it, we had, we brought in people from those local communities who, who could help talk about the needs of those local communities as well. So whatever that local community was going through, I remember in Nevada, they were having uh, um, tensions with some of the indigenous people and the, uh, the local people. And so they, they were able to talk about their own issues in that community. We had discussions of, of just some white people coming up and saying, wow, I never knew black people had to have a conversation with their nine-year-old about how to interact with the police. I'd never have to have that conversation with my child. So that's what that kind of audience um, brought those kind of discussions. And it was a lot of, uh, the goal was for understanding. So I used that film as a tool to, share what people were bringing. There was a part at the end of those discussions where people could just talk about what part of the film resonated most with them. And then they also talked about what happened in their community. So that I, I'm really proud that I was able to, to kind of put that out in the world. And now that film is available on Amazon Prime. Oh, that's really, really cool. And, and of course, you know, as we're recording this, the, the verdict for the, the George Floyd murder case just came out and you know the tensions are still high and, and it still needs to be a very good topic we need to learn more about you know cultural insensitivity racial divides i mean these things aren't you know going away real you know super fast we want them to go away a lot faster but you know these at these times it's more important now to learn about other cultures other societies other ways of life because not everybody's going to be raised the same way, but you find you can find common ground, and that's what we got to figure out. And ultimately, I think we just need to start treating people like people and and, and getting along more in, in in a way too. But we also need, don't need to shut everything out. We need to learn about these things. And I, I'm, I applaud you for doing these type of documentaries. So thank you very much. Thank you. When you're thinking about doing your documentaries, what goes into it? I mean, do you just pick a topic you might like? Is it something that you want to hit on that's, you know, just in the news? Are there suggestions to you? I mean, how do you get to the point where you're going to cover topics like what you did with the Trayvon Martin or, or anything else that you're doing? Yeah, when I first started, when I did the um, Trayvon Martin documentary, I had three other ones that I actually started and I still haven't finished. Um, but I... I stopped those. I was starting and I was working on them. And documentaries are a big haul. Um, they could take years to produce. That one took two and a half years to produce and it's only 30 minutes. Wow. Um, and I put a pause on that because my real goal was to make a pivot to travel. Um, and then the travel stuff started to pick up. And I still do documentaries, but they're more like mini documentaries um, in telling travel stories. And now, the most immediately, the the focus is to to tell stories that are deeper. Um, and during the pandemic, actually in September, I started a new YouTube channel where 
I have some, I have a couple of videos that went viral. Um, uh, one was about the time I went into a drug den in Puerto Rico. Um, but it was more of a behind the scenes because we were actually out there filming for something else. Um, and I, I realized people do like those kind of stories of deeper travel and more uh, immersive and more sustainable and ethical um, and basically busting up colonialism and, and travel. That's the kind of mo most frank way to say it. And the reason that, that kind of it, it could also be it's frank, but also can sound a little aggressive, but when you think about how the travel industry is set up, it is kind of colonialistic. It's like you come into a place um, and you want everything to be kind of to your uh, American standards instead of going to a place to learn about that place and adjust to the place the way that place is. And so I tell stories about how, how we can travel that way. Um, and you know, instead of just trying to collect passports, passport stamps and uh, stamps and show off on Instagram, you know, all the fun places and fancy pools that we're in, not and I'm not discrediting that because there is a space for that and a market for that, and you know that is fun to look at. Like if you, as you know, I always compare that to like magazines. We like looking at the pretty supermodels in magazines. So there is a place for that, but that's not the work that I do. And the work that I do is kind of trying to tell deeper stories of, of places that even you've been and, and maybe you didn't know that this was the history there, unearthing some of those things. So on my uh, YouTube channel, there uh, there's a, a angel oak tree in Charleston and it's a short video. It's only four minutes. Um, but you know, the only thing there, like you go around near Charleston and stop by that people will say, you know, if you look up things to do, it says stop by the angel oak tree and it's almost, you know, Disneyland, like you don't have to pay to get in, but you park and you go and you walk in and you see the angel oak tree. So what else I'm going to tell about that? So I just did some digging and I kind of just sh shared some stories about the history there. It's, it, it exists on a plantation. Um, some people say it's haunted. There's stories even recently that people have seen ghosts. There's stories of some of the limbs that people were lynched on. Um, that's not a pretty past, but this is a past that exists around this tree. Um, so just telling the whole story. And I actually end that video saying, you know, does that discourage that history discourage me from coming to visit the tree? No, I'm still curious about coming to visit, but I think it does it doesn't do anybody a service to bury history. I think we should know about everything that happened here, um, and and then we'll just have and then we'll know, and then we could still have these visits, and we can still meet these people. So those are the kind of stories I do now more on a mini documentary form, but still in the same kind of uh, deep cinematic storytelling way. It's amazing the different, you know, avenues that you take, you know, when there's something that just seems just seem ordinary and, and just plain that you could find different avenues. And I love the people that think outside the box and, and, and I love what you're doing with that. That is, that is really inspiring, you know, cause I'm a person who loves to try to think outside the box. Don't always succeed, you know, but you know, it, you know, I don't it, either. So don't you, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's something you, you kind of aspire to try to be, you know, you always hear about these artists making these great works, but 
you don't hear about, you know, how many times they, they, they failed what we mentioned earlier. You know, you, you, there's so many paths that you fail and, and, and even pieces of art that you may not like sometimes becomes your biggest hit. Sometimes you hear singers saying, I hated that song when I wrote it, but it's my biggest hit ever. So, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see different visions, different flows and how you put so much effort into this. It's, it's encouraging, especially for somebody like me, that's just really trying to push content out there right now and get things out there. So thank you so much. So Davey, I want to change things up just a little bit. And I find this so fascinating that on your website, it says that you created a coloring book. Why create a coloring book? So it was actually during the pandemic. Um, and I actually, my mom and my sister and a couple of my friends, they were already into coloring books. They're, they're adult coloring books out there. Um, and I was never into it, but then I was given one and I, I kind of realized that, oh, this there is something here. It was kind of stress relieving. And upon further research, I found out that therapists actually recommend to some of their patients to color. Um, there's this whole thing about adult coloring. Um, it's a stress reliever and it's something really easy to do. I, I like to recommend doing it at the end of the night instead of just scrolling on your social media. You could get your coloring book and doze off to sleep that way or in the morning with your coffee, um, your mind can wander. It, it's fun, but it's also really meditative and stress relieving. And during the pandemic, we know that almost everybody has experienced stress. And so that's when I came up with this series. And, and I initially came up with one idea. And as I was creating that one idea, more ideas came. So there's a series of four. And the first one is Wonders of the World um, and, other and other fantastic places to, to visit. And then we have Maps of the World. We have Beauties of the World. That's all about the women. Um, and then we, uh, the last one is Endangered Species of the world. And so now we have a series of four coloring books. <laughs> that is so cool. You know, it, 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 it is addictive to sit there and color. I mean, when my son was young, I used to steal his coloring books to, just to fill in because it does get, a, you know, this kind of addictive kind of relaxing feel, you know, and, and of course now I can actually color inside the line. So it, it helps. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> Very much so. You know, it, it, when you were putting these things together, um, did you say, hey, you know, this is this is going to be my first topic. This is what I want to put on. Or did you not know? Or did you say, hey, this is just a random idea that, you know, when I got the idea together that this is the first topic I'm going to focus on? Yeah. So it just the idea came the idea came and then I actually have an idea box. So ideas are always coming to, to me, um, as you can probably already tell. Um, there, when I get the green light, it takes a while for the green light to go on. So I have a, a Google drive full of various ideas on various different things. Um, and sometimes it just simmers and sometimes I might just keep getting a sign that, you know, or more ideas or something just starts building to where it's like, it's go time it's go time let's let's produce this thing and that's how it kind of evolved for coloring i the coloring book i had i remember the seed was planted maybe like a year earlier um but i wasn't really into it um because i i didn't really color um but i knew my mom did and, and my sister did and i knew that people did um 
But yeah, that's how it just, it, it simmers. And then what happens to me for all the ideas of things that I put out there, then I get the green light. So the green light goes on. It, might, it usually is in the shower. Like, oh, I know exactly what to do. And the path becomes super clear. And I make a to-do list and then I start going at it. You are such a fascinating person. It's like you're a jack of all the trades, you know. <laughs> the jack of all trades. I'm not trying to be jack yeah. of all the trades. I actually feel like I work too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you find that a lot too with creative people. They're always trying to do something. And uh, and a lot of times it's because it's a stimulant to them. So, you know, it, and you feel when they get right, like when writers get writer's block or a, a, a portrait artist kind of gets his, their own type of, I guess, artistic blocks, they get kind of a depression kind of set in. And do you ever face those type of ups and downs and valleys when you can't come up with a good idea? Um, I don't ever not come up with, uh, I, a good idea because I have a bucket of ideas that I've collected over the years, but I do get stuck um, and I have to put stuff down. Like if I'm writing um, to finish like a particular project um, and how I get, it's hard because sometimes I do get stuck and it might be on a deadline. Most of the time I'm in control of my deadlines, um, which is another benefit of having your own company. Um, the pressure that is put on me is self-created. Uh, for example, I have another deadline that I created myself, uh, because I have a goal to put something out at a particular time, um, that I'm currently in right now. We're doing, a, a, a e-course, um, and that was another project that simmered and I had been asked to, you know, why don't you do this? This, this is up your wheelhouse. And. Then the green light came on and I was like, it's go time. And then I come up with this mythical, you know, deadline. Um, but I, I, I have learned and grown to give myself grace to allow, to recognize that like that deadline can be moved. Um, and I also have learned to give myself better ex more reasonable expectations so that you don't always feel like you failed. So like if you give yourself 10 things to do in one day, you, you're not going to complete 10 things at best. You'll create, you'll complete three things, one big project. And those two other things have to be minor projects. And so I am still, it's a, it's an ongoing process for years and years, but I always have to recenter myself to realize like my list, my daily list can't be 10 things. And when you do that 10 thing daily list, then you set yourself up for failure because you're going to have to push those things to the next day. You didn't check everything off your list. And so you, you in some ways failed, but it's more rewarding to have three things that you kill in that day. You get to check everything off and you feel rewarded, but also it motivates you to keep going. Um, but as far as the kind of like the blocks, those are kind of some of the tools that I use to allow myself grace, allow myself to recognize what is really important. Like, is this a real deadline or is this something that I can, you know, that I can't manage right now? Because being a business owner, we, I, I actually manage about 10 employees, um, staff across different projects. Um, and that includes um, virtual assistants and all of those things that um, I 
I I do try kind of juggle different things in in uh, at a time. But the truth is, you cannot actually multitask. You as a human can only do one thing at a time. So understanding kind of these fundamental things helps me to reset, not be too hard on myself, and allow some grace. That's really good advice. It's really good advice. If anybody wanted to find out how to find more information about you, follow you on social media, is there any places that people can go to find out more about you? Yeah, the easiest places. Um, uh, my social media is all at Davy Sutton, um, and then my website is DavySutton.com. And then if you want to learn more about my production company, it's DreamNetworkMedia.com. But you can get to everything, even including my social media, on my website DavySutton.com. Now, if there's any advice you were going to give somebody that's looking to go after their own dreams, start their own production company like you did, what would that be? The first thing is um, to really under to really sit with yourself and and ask yourself why you want this because the journey is going to be hard regardless of your dream. Um, so you kind of determine is this really your dream? Um, you know, I work in television and sometimes. Uh, people want to be on TV just because they want to be on TV, which there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not an easy path and it's very competitive. And there's a lot of people, millions of people that want to be on TV. So if it's to be on TV because you think you might be famous, um, that might not be substantial enough to endure all the ups and downs and roller coasters that it will take or the early mornings sometimes your call times are at 3 a.m in the morning if you work a morning show because um, i do the today show sometimes so you might have to wake up or or you know you're going to be live and what the pressure is to be live etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, that's the first thing when you're determining your dream and then when you say yes i want to do this you also have to ask yourself is this something that you can live without doing? If you cannot live without doing this, then that is, then nothing will be able to stop you. And that is kind of what's been my drive that there, I, this is what I, I cannot live without doing stuff for TV. I, I love it. Um, it's the only thing I want to do. Um, and, um, and so that was, that's where you would start. And then you start doing the research. You have to do the, the work and the research. You have to do the competition research. You gotta see who's good. And you also have to understand that you're probably not gonna be good at whatever lane it is, uh, whatever industry, you're not gonna be good at the beginning. And so you have to understand that because if you understand that, then you'll be able to grow from it. There, there are those people that think that they're automatically good at things and they never get to grow and they never learn. And those are the people when advice is given and they push back or they're always defensive. Um, and the reason people are giving advice is to help you. That's always like a love move versus a um, attacking move. Um, and so 
doing the work for with practicing and building up your skill set because ultimately you want to be good and that was always what my my goal was is like yeah it's hard to look at myself you know at the beginning doing tv yeah it's hard to look back at those embarrassing moments are you always are you always hear young people in broadcast you probably hear mm-hmm. that Jonathan with people with young people in broadcast talking about uh, i hate listening to my voice or i can't look at myself on tv that's hard but if you want to be good you got to see what your quirks are are you using your hands too much do you have a tick do you have these things you got to see who's good on TV and and see who's good on TV what you like about them and then look to see where you are and have a real conversation with yourself and that's always a big move to where people advance and where they grow so those are the primary steps on how you start with your journey you know my wife gets on me for going back and listening to my old podcast and as well as my old you know air tapes and and it, and I realized how much I actually have changed, you know, from the old radio days, where you know in the beginning you're almost sounding like the puke jocks, you know, ninety five seven QMF, you know, doing the old, you know, the weird stuff, and then you realize you don't have to be that way if you just be you, which is what many of my employers ended up telling me later. It's like. Quit. Just be you. I'm telling you, your voice is fine. You don't need to enhance it. You don't need to change it. You know, early on when I first got into radio, I, I, I will tell you, I, when I got into the radio, I was 16. I'm from Kentucky. Never done any type of broadcasting. So my, my voice may have had a little twang to it. Okay? I'm not kidding. And, <laughs> and, and so my first boss, and I've said this before, he says, if you want to go anywhere beyond country radio, you're going to have to start learning how to drop, drop that accent so that everybody can understand you. <laughs> so yeah. I, I can, I totally get it. And, I, and if you can't learn from what you're doing, you know, I, I totally get that part too. Thank you so much for sharing that and bringing that up because that's always an enjoyment to me to hear other people say the same thing. Yes, exactly. I know it's, it's always a, it's a journey in putting yourself out there, but that's, you know, um, a lot of what I do, you know, for television and then what I do in travel, I do a lot of adventure stuff and I'm just a regular person, but I love it, pushing myself to the limits and trying adventure stuff. And I say I'm just a regular person because I'm not Bear Gryllis. I'm not, you know, that survival <laughs> person. Um, but I do, you know, and that, but I really enjoy his work, you know, um, and I won't go to that wilderness and eat the slugs, you know, from the from the from the tree to survive but i do i will try repelling and i push myself so people see my work in that way and um and they always i always get the remark that uh that you're not afraid of everything and i always of anything they always say that you you're not afraid you're you're fearless and i i always stop them and i'm saying i say i'm always afraid always afraid i'm afraid sometimes for my big tv hits i'm afraid i'm afraid if i'm if you see me on some my adventure but the fear is not going to stop me fear is not a factor to stop me from going to have this epic experience and so that's something that i'm always telling people and i always like to make clear that i'm afraid and in fact most people are afraid but the most people that you see, those high achieving people, the fear is just one of the things that is in the pot of everything that they're going through at the time. But that's not the, the thing that stops you. You don't get to the cliff's edge right before you're going to repel. 
after you hike the mountain and then you're going to rappel down and you get to the cliff's edge to not do it. You push past the fear and pushing past the fear, you get the biggest rewards. You know, it, it's, it's how bad do you want it? <laughs> it how bad, how bad do, you do you want, want it? it? It's right. what it boils down to. That's what, it, what my coach always said. You know, it. Exactly. That's also a sports thing, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I think every championship game, you don't think that LeBron James is scared. Yes, he's scared. There, it's a part of that adrenaline in the mix of the adrenaline and the excitement is a little bit of, of fear and fear is in the pot. So the, the, so when you see some of these high achieving people or some of the heroes that we see on TV or some of the heroes we see in real life, uh, like, you know, a doctor saving somebody's life, you don't think they're, they're, in, they're in the thick of it and they have to save somebody's life. You don't think they're, they're afraid, they're, but they're not going to stop because they're afraid. And I, I think that's a good... Uh, reminder for all of us, especially I always love telling young people that, but even all of us, you know, that are grown ups too, is that, you know, the fear is in the mix, but that's not the reason that we stop. The only reason you should stop is if you're injured. <laughs> like if you have to physically, if you physically can't do whatever you're up against. To do. <laughs> yeah, unless you're in a Kevin Ware situation where he breaks his leg on national television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. Exactly. Sometimes you see them get up and go on, and, and but sometimes you can't. There's no way around it. But, yeah. You know. Remember, was it Kobe who had, would played with the broken fingers all those those games? I think it was a playoff, and the fingers were taped. I it was. I think years you're ago. right, but I'm not big in the NBA, so <laughs> I, I'm not really okay. sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes even broken bones don't stop you. But right. yeah. Well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been such a delight to have you. And, and hopefully I can I can touch base with you again later down the road and, and maybe see some more things that you have going on or maybe in a development because it would be you're, you're such yeah. a fascinating person. I would really love to touch base with you again down the road. Yes, definitely. Stay in touch, Jonathan.